though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work with you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Here with the Spirit is saying to the church.
disrupted the economy of the temple the day before. So there was a lot of uh, accounting to be done by him. Why? How? What authority do you have? So they challenged him. On what authority do you do these things? And that included his teaching. And Jesus said that he had a question for them in good rabbinical style. He didn't answer directly. And he said, if you'll answer my question, I'll tell you what authority I did have. So he says that, uh, first of all, he asked the question to them about uh, two sons. And these, he gives this parable of the two sons that the father sends into the vineyard. And the one son says he will go, but he doesn't. The other son says he's not going to go, but he does. And then he asks them, who did the father's will? And they say, the first. And then Jesus responds in this very strange way. Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the, into the kingdom of God as you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. This account, I think, sets before us religious arrogance on the one hand and faithful outcasts on the other. The arrogance of the religious authorities blinded them to the possibility that God could do something that they couldn't imagine. And I think this is the danger of our religious institutions. We decide that God acts in a particular way, or that God is expressed in the life of the body, of the church, or of the fellowship, in a particular way. Now, John the Baptist didn't fit the mold at all for the post a wild man. He was out in the wilderness, ate locusts, he was dressed in, in animal skins, his hair was completely unruly, he didn't trim his beard, he probably even didn't smell very good. So John the Baptist just didn't fit what they understood as an expression of God. So when Jesus asked them, you know, where did his authority come from? If they said it came from heaven, then why didn't you believe them, he would have asked. And if they said it came from man, then they ran the risk of getting in trouble with the people who saw in John a prophet. I believe it's possible for us as well to become so narrow in our understanding of the way God can express God's self that we can miss the grace of God. There are people, I'm convinced, who express the grace of God in a way that you can't imagine and sometimes can't receive. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they had no respect. All these religious people that were challenging Jesus had all kinds of respect. They had position. They had access to the holy places of Israel. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes were reviled. Yet, they were the ones who could see goodness in God. They were the ones who saw the possibility for a change in life. And they went out to John in the wilderness to the river. <coughs> the text, I think, is also a reminder that we should not presume anything 
about the spiritual lives of other people. God reaches out to people and is active in the lives of people that we might not guess. I think it's so important for us to accept people where they are in their spiritual journey. We are all seeking one way or another. I think about our bishops, uh, Bishop Tom and now Bishop Allen. While they have all the authority given to them by the church, responsibility that they carry. They are still people like you and me who are seeking to understand how to live out this Christian life. I've heard Bishop Tom talk about that so many times, referring to how he prays, what he hears in his prayer life. And it's obvious that he is constantly referring back to God, how might I lead this life and do the things he would actually do. is that he was accused of eating and drinking with sinners, with tax collectors, with prostitutes. The thing that's so wonderful about Jesus' ministry is that he didn't confine it to the twelve, or even to that crowd that followed him. But rather, his ministry was where people really lived, where people's lives actually were engaged day in and day out. I think that's important for us as the church as well. We are not intended to just maintain a holy club. We are called to be out where people are living their lives and they're engaging questions that are so difficult. And some of those questions are really impossible to answer, but we can be with them as they seek to find a way to live into those questions that they have in their lives. I think there's nothing more, more powerful than
suggesting proper use of your creation. For those who suffer from war, famine, and natural disaster around the world and in our own nation, for the victims of economic dislocation and unemployment, and for all who are in danger, sorrow, or any kind of trouble. In the Anglican cycle of prayer, we pray for the Episcopal Church. We pray for the unity in the Anglican Communion and for Justin, Archbishop of Canterbury. In our diocesan cycle of prayer, we pray for the ministries of All Saints Church, Dunham, Trinity Church, Stoughton, St. Elizabeth's Church, Southern, Church of the Holy Name, Swampstead, and the Merrimack Valley Project. For the peace and unity of the Church of God. For Catherine, our presiding bishop, for Alan and Gail, our bishops, for Tony and Becky, our priests, for Rob, Maureen, Judy, and Janet, our priest associates, and for all bishops and other ministers. For the special needs and concerns of this congregation, we pray especially for Julie and Mary. Janet, Butch, Tom, the Heisen and the Pellerine families, Ben and Bridget, Pam, Mary Jane, Bobby, C, Susie, Mary Jo, Dale, the Watkins family, Ethel, the Cleary family, Hare, Jim and Sue, Wim, Victor, Wim, Don, Ben, Robin, Reverend Jim, Michael, Amy, Spencer and Louisa, Kenneth, Sharon, Paul, Bishop Tom, Kathy, Eliana, Reverend Stephen, Susan, Deborah, Jane, Edie, Liz, those working without jobs, those serving in the military, and those working for peace. Are there others? Hear us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for all of the blessings of this life. We give thanks for the 300th anniversary of St. Michael's Church in Marblehead, and we pray for their community and for their rector, the Reverend Andy Stessel, son of Jim and Deborah Stessel. And we give thanks for those who work for our parish, and we pray for their safety. Are there other thanksgivings? We will exalt you, O God, our King. We pray also for those who have died, remembering especially Alice Pete Tunnicliffe and Judith Lindbergh, former canons of the ordained vocations for the Episcopal Diocese of Massachusetts. Are there others? Lord, let your loving kindness be upon them. We pray to you also in this last sense. Have mercy upon us,
Mark and Joe Schilling, Ann Winslow, Libby Wilson, Emily Moss, and Vinnie Bethany. Um, I decided to join the Welcome Committee practically right away so that I could pass along this embrace of new families and visitors seeking a spiritual home from whatever faith background. Our ministry is a joyful one, opening the doors to newcomers and visitors, helping them find their place in a special, their place in a special church. Arthur Ross grows lucky to live right across the street because we host brunches for newcomers twice a year. And there's one coming in mid-November and you're all invited. I just have to hear from you. Uh, more about that later. Affinity um, is special to me for many, many reasons. Uh, I look forward to being here uh, and how we minister to one another. Last weekend, we had a visitor who kind of arrived in her shorts and t-shirt. She walked into the church and went out on the porch and she asked me, she said, what are people doing here? What time does the church service start? And I said, 10 o'clock. And she said, well, it's over 11 and it's noon. What are people doing? And I said, they don't want to go home. They love being your Trinity. And I think many of us feel that way. We don't want to go home. We want to be here. So the Holy Spirit has spoken to many of us who find ways to serve together and individually in so many ways. It's a very powerful experience, giving back our time and our treasure. And we can sustain, here's a little advert, we can sustain this personal and congregational outreach by pledging. Our offering to stewardship is what makes this wonderful house of worship be what it is. And it supports our amazing industry, our clergy, and musical offerings, and our extensive list of programs. Our pledging pays the bills, and we want to keep on doing that so we can keep Trinity healthy and vibrant. And vibrant. So please join me in pledging. Thank you very much. And wear your name tag and sign in. We would love to know who you are if you have a lot of Thank you.